Hey everyone, I'm Natasha T. Miller, and this is The Science of Grief. Today we hear from Alex Niche, who shares his story about a different aspect of grief he experienced when he was transitioning, including pushback from his family after his transition began. In a little bit, I'll talk with a friend of the podcast and longtime mental health counselor, Bonnie Wheeler, about Alex's story and the power of forgiveness. Plus, later, I'll share a poem that I wrote that I think fits right into this episode. But first, here's our producer, Patrick Vaughn, speaking with Alex Niche. For some reason, the, the thing that kept coming back to me was this binder. And what, like, uh, two of them. But what's inside is Pokemon cards. <laughs> so... I've, uh, I think I've been collecting since around like nine. I've, I've stopped recently cause like, yeah. uh, I, I just don't buy them so much, but I hold on to them and I, it brings back like stuff from like when I was younger and currently I'm watching like the newer one, not the newest, but I think it's like sun and moon. But, uh, what I really liked is they, they touch on some topics that I was not prepared for them to talk, like to touch on because they actually went over grief in like one of the, the episodes I watched recently, which is there's a Pokemon called Litten, but mm-hmm. Litten lives with this Pokemon Stoutland for a little bit, and Stoutland's really old. So Stoutland dies in the episode, but it like goes through it in such a way that it's like it shows this, this Litten's like grief through it, and mm-hmm. you know, like. Uh, they're just, they're not ready yet, but they eventually come to terms with it as like a rainbow in the sky appears in the face of Statlands in the clouds. But, um, and then they, it like, it goes through this whole kind of grief process. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I almost got teary eyed. I was like, why? No, <laughs> stop it. But yeah, they, they also touch on like morals of be kind to people. Like, mm-hmm. even if you don't, fully know who they are it's they always show like such kindness and compassion and like i think even in the older like in the older ones they showed it more where they would be nice to team rocket <laughs> like even though team rocket's like always after pikachu or whatever but they they would always be like nice in some way like and then like my natural next question is like so uh can you tell me more about you i personally kind of like myself as i am right now you know i think good who i am as a person is not bad uh i've come a long way from who I used to be. And, you know, I've, like, Pokemon evolved. No. Um, I've I've changed into the person I am today. But I think um, sometimes it feels like people still want you to change constantly. You know, and, and it's not even always that they're trying to do it with malintent or anything like that. It's, they're trying to do it out of a sense of compassion. Like, oh, well, don't you understand? I'm like... I understand that some things maybe aren't what you think they should, but from my eyes, I think I'm at a good place in my life. I know that you are very interested in like creative writing, um, <laughs> poetry, um, drawing, animation, video games. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about like what you like about that? I'm more of a vocalist person, and mm-hmm. that's something where I, I like to write my own songs or just I I do a lot of improv when it comes to trying to make stuff if I'm like for example singing something I like to have a recording set and then I'll just like start working with like if I throw down a free to use track or something and I want to like work with that I usually just think about it or I just randomly throw in nothing and I just start singing and trying to work with stuff so that's that's with that and with the kind of writing thing and then 
something that kind of branches off of that is I, <laughs> I kind of like, in a sense, voice acting. Mm-hmm. That's something that I really like doing. Like, it's a great thing to do if you can make those people happy through like, I don't know, animation can be brought into this where it's yeah, where it's like people who do voices for animes or cartoons or whatever. Like they they bring the character to life, and then there's people who are like, hey, that character's like me, or I like that character, and it's like that person who did the voice was like, I did a good job because. Maybe, like, I brought across what this character's supposed to be like, and this person's like, yes. Uh, I don't know. And I I do totally random voices. Like, of course I can do some <laughs> some if you'd like, but it's... Okay. Do um, it, do it. Okay. Anything? Any, anything you want, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think how... Okay. I am the bog witch! I will, I will make you into a stool! <laughs> It's just like silly stuff like that. And it's like, I like that. It's like, oh, I don't know. This one's not very good. I'm a witch. Or I can go like, hey guys, um, how's it going? Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm just talking, you know? It's just like all over the place. I like that. It's like a chipmunk. Yeah, like, <laughs> it reminds me of like an Elvin. Elf, chipmunk, sprite, whatever. And it's like, I do lower voices where it's like, hey, uh, what do you think you're doing here? Uh, yeah, I, I, my voice is a bit meh today, so I don't know. I'm giving myself the benefit of the doubt where I, I can do better, but... Um, put I like it. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, it's like, I like doing kind of stuff like that, silly, and like all over the place, and accents or something I like doing. You know, sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm bad. And yeah, for, for my profession, though, I plan to go into something along the lines of like therapy or social work. I, I want to be there to kind of help or assist people in their lives to be like, you have the support you need. You have someone you can talk to. Mm-hmm. We can work through whatever you, you need to work through. And, you know, may that be grief or may that be anything. Like, that's the kind of profession I am willing to go into and I want to look more into. And that, But when it comes to, like, you noticing things, like, about yourself, something that I latch on, that well, I have latched on to, uh... And I think I've slowly gotten away from that. Is the um, my voice? That was a huge thing because um, I never really liked my voice. I like I like it as a now. I really yeah. like. I think it's fine now. But um, I used to hear my own voice, and wow, it would it would just cause me to like have so many bad things happen. Like I would have this sense of getting. A mixture of angry and sad mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I'm like this is not why do I sound like this this isn't how I want to sound I this doesn't feel right this doesn't fit who I am and it's like those there's also like those moments of where you pop into like a weird clarity but I think I think I've noticed something with myself and even sometimes with some of my friends it's that they don't want to bother people and I think that's like a huge thing where it's like they don't want to reach out because they're like, oh, they they don't want to have that burden of what I'm going through. And I think that's like I think that can be like very common among like a lot of people. But uh, I think that maybe plays a part in everything else that kind of followed because it's like my parents got that divorce, not a big issue, but it's like how each parent reacted to that. You can see how like different reactions and different types of like being, you know, and like stuff happened on both sides. So I would say something that 
I don't want to say I didn't have my childhood because truth be told, I think overall I had a pretty decent childhood. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm happy with who, who I am today. And I think like parts of that is like leading from the good and the bad. But I think something that uh, was brought up to me later in life of how I acted when I was younger was I would always kind of be that sort of peacemaker, which is, it's a good skill to have. And I think that's something I've, I've done throughout my entire life. And I think it's evolved into something great because I think it's a very good skill, as I said before. But like, I think an aspect of me doing that kind of, I don't want to say it made me grow up because I've, hear, I've heard that a lot where it makes you grow up quicker or like faster. I don't know if that's exactly what I'm going with, but I would say my maturity level has always been at a state where maybe my age hasn't been. I guess that that would make sense the most because as I said, like, how many children try to settle disputes amongst people? How many children, like, I mean, there's simple ways they could, like, hey, I want to go play outside. Stop yelling, mom and daddy, or like, stop doing this. People who I like were friends. You guys are friends. But it's like, I would, I would always try to go at it like more like, we need to resolve this in a very peaceful manner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, I would try to be, I don't want to say the adult, but it's like, that mature one in the group. I feel like I want to state this here and now because I yeah. feel like it's a little random, but we can throw it in or not. Um, I feel like if somebody changes how they used to be, I don't always feel like people should be so mean to who they used to be. You know, like if I was a certain way in the past and I finally came to the conclusion like, oh, I did not like who that was. I wanted to change. I did change. And if people are still holding back on you, like due to what you used to be, I I don't know if that's always like super fair. If somebody did something that wasn't maybe the greatest, but then they realized their mistakes and they went and they put the effort into change. If somebody's being very genuine with how they feel and about what they've said, and they acknowledge that who they were or what they did or any of their faults, if they acknowledge that and say that was wrong, then I feel like that should be acknowledged in its own and people should be like, you know what? I'm willing to understand and I'm willing to try to see how much you've changed. You know, like generally what I'm trying to say is like, don't always beat people down if they're trying to be better people. Mm -hmm. If they're willing to change. If they're not willing to change and they're just going to stay in that same state no matter what, that's a little bit of a different story. But if somebody is willing to go through the effort to be better. Give them a chance. So, junior dysphoria in high school. Um, I would say that's that's actually when I started transitioning. Do you want me to go more oh. back? Because I don't actually, yeah. did I talk about middle school stuff? or? Um, yeah, you talked about uh, in middle school you started, oh, sorry, I switched. In middle school you started feeling gender dysphoria, but high school, that's when you transitioned. Yeah, I transitioned actually in middle school and I actually felt the gender dysphoria. <laughs> yeah, it was a switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, of course, yes. I'm willing to go into that. I think generally with gender dysphoria, like when I started feeling that in middle school, I didn't know what it was at first, to be 100% honest. So from what I can give the best of my explanation from the technical term, it basically means to not feel great in your current body and to have like a disconnection with who you are physically, with who you are mentally. I think that's a major role in it. Like my 
my physical was different than maybe for my mental. And there's a huge thing where it's like, oh, I have the brain of a guy, but like, I don't know what kind of brain I have. I, I guess like, it's more of how I feel as a human being. You know, I feel more like a man. I feel more masculine. That's me. But I also have like feminine features or not features, but like not physical features. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, like I have feminine things that I like, like I'm not wearing nail polish right now, but I would like, mm-hmm. I like nail polish or I don't know. I also thought, oh, I've heard that when you go through puberty, it's most people feel weird. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. common to not feel great about certain aspects of yourself you know, like, uh, oh, I'm going through this. Oh, I feel so gross. Yuck. I've heard about, like, that's something I think everyone has heard about. Like, yo, puberty, whatever. So I just thought, like, what I was feeling was kind of more normal, I guess. (laughs) I I don't remember exactly how I learned about it. I think the first step was I learned about uh, drag kings. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, like, I learned about drag kings. I knew about drag queens, but I was like, wow, this is cool. Maybe I want to be one of those. Uh, you know, I'm still fine with being called this and I, I'm fine with any pronouns. It's totally cool. Like he, she, they all up in this. But um, I think after going through therapy for a little while and trying that out, like I wanted to experiment. See, I'm going to branch off a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, it's um, fine. I think there's a bit of a stigma with testing out new waters when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like because you don't want people to call you something and then, like, if you go back, you don't want to feel like you did something wrong or, like, that someone won't respect you the same way. Like, oh, so you lied? Like, that, I think that can be a huge thing with a lot of people mm. of maybe when they are considering coming out because that was something with me for a while um, with that. But when, when it came to, like, oh, eventually I came to the realization that I was male, for a very long time, I wasn't sure if it was a phase to be honest, like, I would always tell people, like, ah, oh, yeah, I think I'm a guy. But, you know, it, it might be a phase. Like, I would bring that up. Like, but it might be a phase, so uh, don't get your hopes up, you know, whatever. Because I didn't want people to look back and be like, oh, what's wrong with this this person, like, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, in a sense, I don't know. Like, very strange to try to explain, but it's like I didn't want to have that high expectation, and then suddenly, oh, it turns out I'm this one. Whoops, the Daisy. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I would always tell people that, oh, it might be a face though, and I would always have that self doubt. I think, in a sense, like, is this real or is it a face? I didn't start testosterone until around 2019, so that was about when I was. Uh, I think it might have been either 10th or 9th grade for me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't start till then, but, you know, like, that was something I was constantly worried about for if I were to take testosterone, because I had also read, like, all of the side effects, all of the everything, because I'm not, I didn't want to just jump into something randomly, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I was, that's where the logical side of me was thinking, like, is this something I really want to go through? Is this something I am prepared to look at? Is the results what I would want the results to be? I know what's reversible and what's not reversible. Mm-hmm. Let's look into that. What is the super bad stuff that could happen? What is the not super bad stuff that could happen? You know, like I looked into all of that and it was something like I was constantly weighing like, is this the thing I want or is it not? Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, you know, if you can't tell, I kind of went with, yeah, it's it's pretty worth it. Uh, pretty, pretty nice, actually. <laughs> so uh, that's that was something. And it was like, I think one of the major things that I was 
kind of uh, worried about giving up was I was also a singer when I was younger and mm-hmm. like I make it sound like I'm a big shot, but no, like I, I had a decent singing voice when I was younger. Yeah. And I just, I didn't want to lose that because uh, <laughs> it's, I used to be a soprano and you know, I used to sing soprano one in my choir. Yeah, way yeah, up. Yeah, right up there. <laughs> so I used to sing soprano and over the years, like I went to alto and mm-hmm. that was before I took testosterone. I could sing lower. I just wanted to be placed closer to the guys, I think. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I was still at that uncertain stage. And this was this was in high school more. I've, I should clarify, like I've kind of changed over to the high school. That's when I started having the more manness <laughs> the more like transitioning to male before like I fully understood and that's when I was still having those concerns but um I went from the soprano to the alto and then eventually to tenor this was before I still had started testosterone and then it, it, like some of that change happened within the same year because like mm-hmm. we have choir or if we had choir before everything so I went down this line and the last year, I think I got placed into bass. <laughs> so I went like... <laughs> yeah, all the way down the scale. <laughs> yeah, I... Um, but that was my main concern was losing that singing voice because I actually... That was something I liked. I didn't like my actual voice, but my singing voice I thought was really nice, mm-hmm. which was kind of strange because I don't think most people have a conversation and I wasn't planning to have a conversation with just singing. Like, we're having a musical. <laughs> like, I wasn't going to be like singing around like, how's your day going? I hope it's well. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't going to do that. But, you know, I was just... That was my one major concern, I think, with all of it. And, you know, eventually, I, as you can tell, I've gotten over that and I'm now where I am. But when it came to transitioning from being, oh, thinking I'm neutral to transitioning to like the male guy thing, that was like in its own like, oh, wait, what's, what's happening now? Oh, I, I guess like maybe, maybe this was like a weird step. And it's like now I realize I'm like, it was just, I guess... To be like funny, like it was a transition in its own. Cause it was like I was transitioning from thinking, okay, maybe I'm just neutral, pretty chill with everything, to oh wait, that was just like a, a kind of stopping point, a kind of like realization point. And you know, now I'm at the point where I'm like, hey, you know what? This seems pretty right. And you know, I I'm pretty confident in who I am right now. I'm a guy, but I don't really care what you call me so much. Like, but I am a man, and I know I am a man. I don't know. But I think it was difficult at first with the whole transition. I'm going to go more, yeah, I'm just going to clarify to you. Uh, I'm going to go more into high school now, like definitely. Yeah. Um, when it came to first like majorly transitioning to male, um, a major thing was I started hormone blockers to start. You know, I didn't go straight into like, yeah, let's get that tea. <laughs> uh, I like, I started with the hormone yeah. blockers. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I I first got hormone blockers and truth be told, like medicines are medicines. They work on people differently. It kind of worked, kind of didn't. <laughs> I had to be bumped up and it like, it still never fully works. So I think at that point, that's like kind of was the pushing thing. Maybe, you know what? Maybe maybe we can go into that that one. Maybe, yeah. But it was the process to get there was it took time and it's something you have to be patient about. And, you know, I was always told like, be patient. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, you don't know. And I'm like, 
okay, you kind of knew. <laughs> like there was that like, you kind of knew, but mm. <laughs> So it's like, you gotta look, you gotta look uh, where you're at. You can't just look at the, like the, like where you were, or like only look like, I want to be at the mountaintop. You know, uh, you can't just only be like, I want to be there right now at this very moment. Cause it's like, it sucks. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but you know, I, I feel like in a sense it was worth the wait. You know, I feel like where I'm at now is great. But when it came to transitioning from the hormone blockers to the testosterone, I had to go through this whole process with a therapist and we had to sit down I think I had to do this even with hormone blockers a little bit, but it got more into depth when it came to testosterone. Um, I had to sit down and we had to make sure like, are you really trans? Are you really a guy? Like, and like, I'm putting that way more simple than it is. Like, I'm not trying to make that person, the therapist sound insensitive. Like that's not one at all. They just want to make sure because this is something that is very, very like uh, life altering, very life altering. Cause it's like, there have been people who have tra- detransitioned because they didn't like where it was. And like, I, that's no one's fault at all. That's just how it, events played out. But it's like, we wanted to make sure this was what I wanted and that what everything had led up to that point was accurate and everything was good. And a major thing actually was um, with some people in my life, they were worried that it was actually caused, like the reason I was this way or was... Uh, wanting to transition was out of like a sense of trauma. That was something that they were concerned about. And, you know, like looking back, it's like, I respect that they cared, like that they were worried about that because they didn't want me to do something that I'd regret. But like now, of course, these people, they don't think that anymore. (laughs) Like, I want to clarify, they do not think it was because of trauma anymore. They, they understand. Evolved. Yes, it resolved <laughs> itself. I think that is a very important thing to say because, like, it's not like that they stayed in those ways. It's like they were just concerned at the time. And mm. now they're like, nah, okay, it's just who you are and we support you, which is great because I'm very thankful for the people who have been able to support me in my life. Like, I understand that there's people who are not going to support me and who don't like me. And that's okay. You know what? It's easier said than done, but I try to look at it like just because not everyone's going to like me doesn't mean I have to change for that person so they do like me. Mm -hmm. I should be the person I think I like, you know. How do they determine, like, how do they make that determination? Because you said they had to, like, um, got to. make sure that you, like, knew what you were doing and, like, that this was, like, not, like, a trauma thing or this Mm -hmm. thing or that thing. How did they Um, decide? Well, I had a few meetings about that. I think I had, like, I think I had at least two specifically, like, for that. So that's, like, an hour, hour and a half, like, talking and trying to get to the bottom of it and trying to see, could there be any roots that were led to this? Like, could there be, like, oh, we grabbed this from this. Maybe that makes a connection. It was, like, we went into that. I also saw a specialist before uh, starting testosterone as well. And I think it was like, it was not my therapist. It was someone else. When it came to the first, like this meeting that I was having with these people to talk about like this whole, like, what does it mean to go through this process? Are you aware of everything? Like that was an extra thing. And at that time, um, my parents were still like trying to understand like all of it, but they like, 
they weren't sure with the whole pronouns thing still. And, you know, I, I, I'm really good with keeping it together, like not showing that things bothered me. And I think that eventually, like during this, they kept on calling me like the, the wrong pronoun. And I did not want it to happen, but I just started crying. Cause it like, it, I think it just had gotten to a point where it wore down on me mm-hmm. and it was, it was not intentional. It wasn't pity crying. It wasn't like, get me on testosterone. I want it now. It was like <laughs> legit. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, wow. <laughs> it was, it was strange. It was really weird that it happened, but I mean, I think it started to get a click in them. Like that, that was meaning something like what they were saying was actually affecting me in a certain way. And, you know, just because they don't understand something doesn't mean, like, they're not like, okay, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I won't support you. Like, they support most of the things I've done in my life, and they try to support whatever I do because they're like, this is who you are, and we understand that. So, and we, they just, they wanted me to be happy. Like, yeah. that. that's, that, especially with the... Uh, with it all, like they they wanted to understand, but they also just wanted me to be happy. Mm-hmm. That's something that is very good. That you know, like now in our lives, it's like I've I've come to a point in my transition where it's like they see that I'm happy and they're happy for me, and they're also like um, something I could go into, which actually relates to grief a little bit, if you'd like. Um, yeah. Is my father okay? Um, and I respect this, and I like I can see where he was coming from with all this. Um, for a very long time, he was grieving in his own sense because he felt like he had lost someone, you know, because I was changing, you know, and it felt like who I was was going to be gone forever, and that like that person was dead, you know, and that that really took a toll on him, and for for a while, and it it was like I could see that he was sad about it. But, you know, it's gotten to a point where it's like, I think he realized that he wasn't actually losing someone. I'm still the same person. I'm still his child. And, you know, I am just now his son instead of what I was before. And I think he he realized that that it's not that different. He can still love the person I am, you know. <laughs> He's my dad and, you know, he cares about me in that way. Mm-hmm. As I said, like my parents just want my happiness, which is something I'm very grateful for. So, yeah. Was that difficult for you when your dad was struggling with that? If I'm to be completely honest, I don't think it was difficult in one way. Like it wasn't difficult because I understood that's what needed to happen. Because mm-hmm. it was hard. It, like I understood like what I was going through. I looked at it in my perspective first. I was like, change is very interesting and it's something that I'm going through and you know it's a lot for me to personally handle so I also went through the thought of he's handling it in a different way and it's it could be hurting him and it's like I understood that it did feel bad but I realized it's what needed to happen because mm-hmm. as I said like don't change for others but also maybe don't only stay the same for others you know that could be added on it's like don't do something that will only make that will make you suffer or that will make you not be genuinely who you want to be because of somebody else. So mm-hmm. I understood that I might be in a sense like I I don't want to say I was hurting him or making him suffer, but it's like 
there was that sense of like grief and loss that came along with my transition at first. And it's something that I didn't want to see in a sense. Like I was like, I don't want to cause other people to have this. It's like back to the thing where it's, oh, I don't want to burden other people. Like that was partially what was going on. But I used my logical side and I said, but this needs to happen. This, mm-hmm. this is who I am. And I don't want to see him like this, but I, I have the feeling that he'll come to terms with it and that he'll understand that one day he'll see that I am the same person, but I'm just different looking or I've changed a little bit. But that doesn't mean like you have to get rid of the memories you had or you have to uh, act like that person's dead. You know, it, when did you... Do you remember a specific moment when you had the mental switch when you're like, this is something I want to do? Oh, that's a toughie. Um, hmm. I'm Ian DeLisi. I'm Rob Reinhardt. And we're about to bring back the perfect opportunity to honor your favorite pet and support WDET. During our spring fundraiser, Ann and I will combine our shows so you can honor your dog. Or your cat. Or your dog. And WDET with a gift of support. We're looking forward to hearing about your pets, no matter what kind of cat that is. Cats and dogs and any other pet you may have will be part of our fundraiser. And if you can't wait till the weekend, make your gift now at WDET.org slash give. Or call 800 959 I think it probably happened my second year of high school. I had someone else in our school. I go to a very like kind of small school. At the school I was attending, uh, there was someone who was a trans male or who was maybe going into that. And they had like, they had the binder. They had the majestic binder, which I hadn't had actually yet. I didn't buy one until I think I was... 16 maybe i don't know how many years is high school yeah no that would have that would have worked out it was 16 17 one of those birthdays is when i got it so i didn't have it before meeting this person and i remember like i saw them in the men's bathroom because the the door was open like because it's the you go in and there's the stalls on the other side where you can't see so i saw them and i was like okay and then I quickly ran in and this was before like I was transitioned to that point where it's like, I'd be using the man's bathroom or whatever. I, I went in and was like, Hey, um, I have a question. It's okay if you don't want to answer it. <laughs> like I was, yeah. I was just trying to be like, as, uh, I just not intrusive as possible, but I wanted to ask the question cause I had never met a trans person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, um, could you tell me about this? <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, yeah, sure. Because like uh, this person hasn't started testosterone. And, you know, they're still in my class. They're in my grade. And they're probably going to, uh, they might start testosterone soon. Or, you know, they they would also, they were also like through the switching thing where it's like, maybe I'm neutral, maybe I'm not. But like at this point, they were at the masculine stage. And I was like, can you tell, like, what's it like to wear that? And, you know, I would I would ask these little questions because I was, I was trying to understand it a little more from a more um, like, oh, you're a real person. Yay. Um, <laughs> And now I'm happy to have mental health counselor Bonnie Wheeler back on the podcast to shed some light on the grief that can come from life changes and transitions and family expectations and also the power of forgiveness. Okay, well, I'm Bonnie Wheeler. I'm a mental therapist, uh, recently retired from Michigan State University Counseling and Psychiatric Services where uh, 
part of what I did was specialize in working with young adults and um, specialize in grief and loss and other kinds of uh, issues that come up for on a college campus. Uh, to jump right into um, Alex's interview, do, do you have any thoughts on what you uh, what you heard in the interview? Well, my first thought was, uh, what a wonderfully resilient young person. I loved some of the attitude and enthusiasm and thought it was actually quite insightful, some of the things Alex said about grief and other people's reactions, especially in his family, or I assume his family. Yeah, and I know that, um, speaking to that, Alex talked about, you know, being a peacekeeper between uh their parents. And uh, I just wanted to know, you know, what effects does that have on a young person trying to keep the peace between these adults? It is, in fact, a, a huge stress because they're sensitive to the other people's needs ahead of their own. And keeping peace, I mean, it certainly meets Alex's own needs as well, because you live better in a peaceful environment. But when you feel like you always have to be aware that it just is an added dimension that that makes you a little bit in your relationships hypervigilant about what the signals are that there's uh, distress coming. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean, just thinking about, you know, Alex was was going through their own transition and at the same time, you know, trying to, trying to feel everything that that they were experiencing in their own world, but also trying to be this peacekeeper to their parents. So I I agree with you that additional um, uh, stress could be a lot. Alex also talked about facing pushback uh, from his parents when he was transitioning. How can we deal with that kind of conflict in a healthy way uh, when the relationship is with someone that you're very close to? Actually, Alex had come to kind of a more comfortable space with it, not wanting people to be unhappy, but but really wanted them to be able to cherish uh, old pictures and things like that without it being a stressful thing. And I think that acknowledging that and saying that out loud to people who are struggling with it, it's like, yeah, you can celebrate the, the little me that was, you know, because I was there too. We can celebrate that together. Uh, but this is the me that's now. I love that, celebrating the little me that was, but also the person that's, that I am right now. Well, I think one of the healthier ways is a sense to not really say goodbye, but just say, you know, you, you did the best surviving in the world when when we were 10 or when we were 8. You did a really fine job, and I appreciate that, but I'm the one that's going to keep us safe now. I'm the one that's going to negotiate the world now. So sort of an internal dialogue uh, saying, you're still part of me, you know, I'm, I'm not throwing you out because that, uh, that was the lived experience at the time. But I'm now here. I'm, gonna, I'm the one that's going to keep us safe and keep us uh, functioning in the world. So I, I actually have had people in the past do an imaginary um, conference table where they have themselves at every age around that table. And, uh, you know, that's in the back of the head. And when an issue comes up, 
the you at whatever age feels strongest about it says, I got this one. And what we all ultimately do is we, we begin to turn the, the um, decision-making over to the person who's actually, you know, the, the me who is in the present. And, I mean, most people know that feeling, especially if you have siblings of one of your siblings said something, says something to you and you instantly feel like 11 years old. And that's, that's the 11-year-old at the conference sa- table saying, I got this one. I know how to behave here. So we're, we all negotiate that within ourselves to honor our own little kids or our own younger self at the same time that we are uh, honoring our present self. Yeah, that's really, that's really important what you said of, of I got this. You know, it's not that we're abandoning this this other self uh this this new self is taking over but this new self is keeping all of us safe you know so i really appreciate that um alex talked about having uh gender dysphoria and transitioning uh what i would like to ask is is the mourning uh is mourning the loss of one's born gender um something that you've seen in your practice and does it resemble uh, other kinds of grief well i i have certainly come across it i think it's different in, in gender transition. Well, you, you would grieve different things depending on what direction you're going. Who have gone female to male who are very surprised at how they're treated differently, um, the different power dynamics. Uh, but, and they also are grieving the ability to be more emotional and more sensitive. So I think going the other direction, male to female, you'd be grieving some of the same things. The the difference in power and the difference in um, respect, in fact, that you're treated with in public. Also, it, we're not really binary, any of us. It's a spectrum. So I think one of the things with people who are transitioning, they get to pick a little more what they can keep um, or what they want to because they might have a heightened awareness of that. I think it has felt to me when I've encountered it like it's a, a, a typical grief of, well, I couldn't be who they wanted me to be, whoever they are. And grief comes with that. And then there's the grief, you know, being sort of observers of the grief of the family and the pressure to be who they want you to be. You know, I know some uh, trans men who still get pink purses as gifts from family members. Hmm. So there's there's that pressure and it doesn't go, it sometimes does not go away. Yeah. I want to ask, you know, from, you know, my own personal story, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a queer woman of, you know, color. And at some point when I was, you know, coming out, I felt my mother's grief. I felt my father's grief. And I, yes. and I always tried to figure out how do I, you know, and to those young listeners, what are ways in which you can be happy with yourself 
while also feeling the grief of someone that you love when that grief is really about you, your happiness. That grief is because you're happy. How, how do you navigate those two worlds? Oh, uh, that's a challenge, isn't it? That, that's a challenge for, of letting people, well, you navigate it and uh, with different personalities, probably different ways, but I, the first thing that comes to mind is as you become more comfortable with your authentic self, then people really see that you're more comfortable in your own skin when you come out, when you transition, whatever it is. And the more comfortable you can become, it shows them that. And really what parents want, even in their grief, is they want their children to be happy. And having seen it many times where people come out or they transition and just the difference of, I mean, the only phrase that I've ever found that covers it is being more comfortable in your own skin, just knowing who you are. And then that, that helps other people through it as well. Uh, If they're not willing to see that, then there's the grief of accepting that they're just not willing to move forward. And that's another process of controlling only what you can control. And really, I I think uh, in our example of Alex, there's the pressure of trying to keep the the parents, you know, moderate the parents and their relationship. So there's a hypersensitivity to what their moods are. And learning to let go of that and say they're in charge of their own moods and they, they get to take care of themselves. That's important. They get to take care of, of themselves. Um, I used to, when I was younger, I would go to like all of the weddings in my family. And I would always wear dresses to the weddings. And I don't like dresses. I hate dresses. <laughs> <laughs> and I just assumed that everybody there wanted to see me in the dress or they would be uncomfortable, right? And they, you know, my family, oh my God, look at you. You know, we love it. But then when I stopped wearing dresses and I started to wear what made me comfortable, my family also loved that as well. And I think that's why what you just said was important of of of, of people, you know, your parents and your family members ultimately wanting you to be happy. Um, yeah. And it took for me to be comfortable in my own skin and for me to say, no, this is what I want to wear because this is what I feel good in. And once people realized that that's what I was going to wear— they started to feel good about it as as well. So sometimes it's just, you know, it's just it's just making that leap and saying, I am comfortable in my own skin and I'm gonna do what's best for me. Right, exactly. You know, exactly. That's such a great example because we have so many as a culture, so many expectations around weddings and what they're supposed to be. And I had a family wedding where one of my nieces was in in the wedding wearing a satin dress and. She, why I can go back to, you know, outside of the weddings when I was in uh, elementary, you know, I knew what what it was. I, I think I was pretty much set in, in my sexuality and, you know, it was new to my mom. But I just the way that I dressed, everything that I wanted for myself, I knew it. And my mom used to just like always put my hair in these like pigtails that I absolutely it so much, right? And it's like, it seems like something so trivial and something small, but me not being able to to wear what I wanted to wear, to dress how I want to dress, to get my hair done how I want my hair done, 
it felt like a part of me was was dying. Like every time I had to wake up and and live, you know, in the reality of someone else. It just it was really yeah. really hard. And um, and I think that's a, a a grief that a lot of obviously you know uh, LGBTQ folks carry around, including myself. That you you kind of live this death of yourself every day, every time somebody forced you to doing something just because it made them more comfortable. Uh, with that, Alex, and it's something I'm really big on, talked about forgiveness and just letting people change their behaviors. Uh, do you, can you talk about how forgiveness affects our mental health? Oh, my. <laughs> uh, it affects it hugely, hugely, hugely. And, um, it's it's a mix of forgiving other people for being who they are, but also forgiving yourself. And and actually, that little imaginary conference room in the back of the head. Some of the conversations I encourage people to have is internal, with acknowledging that at times you made decisions that were based on where you were at that time, and forgiving yourself for that because you made the best decisions you knew how. You might know better now. So part of forgiveness in mental health is forgiving yourself, forgiving others for being who they are. Uh, yeah, I just think that's a huge thing because without forgiveness, you're carrying around stuff. Yeah. And it's stuff that you can't really, you can't change what happened. It's just whether you carry it around and how heavy it is. And without forgiveness, it's incredibly heavy and weighs on our mental health in that people think about it all the time or wish somebody else would do something that they may not be capable of or willing to do. In Alex's case, forgiving his parents for needing a mediator might be something um, that he would want to do at some point in his, his growth. Just because... They did. They were where they were at that time, and they might get to a different spot without his help and not giving himself a hard time for taking the role in the family that he did. I know there's a lot of people who are listening to, you know, this this podcast who are just now finding out about the world of forgiveness and how to forgive. I think for a very, very long time, I would always say I forgive things and I forgive people and I forgive myself. Uh, But it was really just a word. It was just me saying it because I felt like that's what I had to say. As a queer woman, you know, there's a lot of things that has happened to me up until this point in my life where I've actually had to really forgive them things and and those people that caused uh, whatever strife in my life. Can you talk about what forgiveness looks like? Like, how do we forgive? Forgiveness has so many sides to it and the one that comes to mind is that putting it aside I think when we haven't forgiven somebody it eats on us in a way that other things don't forgiveness and grief have a parallel in that there's a certain point where in your grief you're all focused on what's lost and what what remains and what kinds of, you know, there's, there's, what can I do to bring it back or make it change or all of those things are in there with grief. And then there's a point where you kind of integrate things into your experience, into your life, 
you figure out maybe what lessons you learned, if it's a relationship or, or what strengths you've gained from it. And then it's transitioned in a way so that you can let it go. What I would ask is, um, this is one of, one of, you know, not really a question, but just opening the floor to you. You know, again, there's a lot of, uh, you know, young adults who are going through a lot of transitions in their life right now who are listening to this podcast, you know, some for the very first time. And uh, could you maybe just give some sort of advice or some sort of uh, tips on how to embrace this transition and this new uh, identity that is on the other side of what where, where we all are now? The bottom line is be gentle with yourself because all of this stuff you're new at and each new encounter you grow a little more. And I think the other thing with it, be, being gentle with yourself in any kind of transition it's easy to get caught up in the uh, the anxiety of it rather than breathing and just accepting, okay, this is what's going on right now, and I can, I can cope with this because most people, most young people even have coped with a great deal before, uh, for an example, uh, to come out to people. And what if, what if, and you get caught up in the what if rather than the acceptance and breathing of the moment and being gentle with yourself about this and and self-affirming. Those are like three of the things that I would say would be helpful for young people encountering new things and going through various transitions. Um, And whether that transition is, I've just moved away to college or there's been a tragedy in my family or I have to walk down the street and I'm really scared. Yeah, I mean, if I had to add, you know, to to that, I would just say, you know, um, you know, be present and yes. and experience the experience. Don't sleep your way through it and just hope that you're just gonna wake up on the other side. Because I think that you know, one day these these young adults, you know, you'll be old older adults, and then people ask you for advice about how you transitioned, about how you came out, about how you met yourself on the other side. And it's nothing more beautiful than you being able to detail some of those moments for people to help them throughout their own transitions. I know we all get caught up in just saying, I just can't wait to get to the end. I just can't wait to get to the end. And then we forget to actually enjoy the train ride, even when it's kind of rocky for us. Right. That's, that's, kind of what I meant about breathing into the moment of, you know, you're here and and you don't have to rush through it. Nope. So, yeah. Yeah. You put that beautifully, too. Yeah, yeah. Had to had to had to take that train ride a lot of times, so uh, <laughs> now I'm happy to be able to, to offer anything, uh, uh, anything that I can, so... Thank you, Bonnie. This has been uh, amazing. Thank you for continuing to join us on this journey of the science of grief and speaks with these or two, you know, our young adult audience. This has been fun. This has been insightful per usual. And as always, I cannot wait to talk to you more. I feel exactly the same. I really enjoy these talks. So I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thank you. Earlier in the episode, I promised that I would perform one of my original poems. This poem is titled, If I Make It Back. Today is no different than yesterday. Today, I am gay, 
I am out, unsafe, unable to promise my mother I'll make it back home. But I am here, happy, swimming in open waters, stroking the ocean colorful, fighting death and drowning until the waves carry me back to shore. Earlier in the episode, Alex and Shay talked about how he used to feel self-conscious about his voice and how he's come to like it now. Here's the song Alex wrote, produced, and sings on. It's called A Work in Progress. mental health concern and need someone to talk to, please contact a mental health professional or your doctor. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. This episode was produced by me, Natasha T. Miller, Patrick Vaughn, our executive producer, David Lyons, and our editor, David Weinberg. Theme music by Jordan Davis with sound design and additional music by Sam Bobian. With additional production support from Maida Stangy, Antoine Scott, Shamin Sultana, Kaylin Higgins, Aaron Appleby, and Holly Ann Stewart, who also creates all of our original episode artwork. Check it out at WDET.org. The Science of Grief podcast is a collaboration between Science Gallery Detroit and WDET 
Detroit's NPR station and is supported by the Children's Foundation of Michigan, MSU FCU, and Science Sandbox. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of your mental health. I am mine, so maybe I'd like to take